Stephen Hawking is a very famous physicist. I think we get a picture of him. So if you don't recognise the name, you probably recognise the face. Very famous. I'm not sure if he's still alive. Did he die recently? Yeah. Well, he said, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting a very ordinary star on the outer fringes of one among millions of galaxies. We are so insignificant. Now, we are, that's what Stephen Hawking said about himself and you and me and all of us. Chemical scum on the planet. Very clever man. Do you agree with him? <laughs> anyway, that's Stephen Hawking. On the other hand, children in school are taught the UN Declaration of the Rights of a Child. It seems to be like the new catechism. In the past, children were taught catechisms, questions and answers about the Bible. Now they're taught to, rem- to memorise and recite the rights of a child, their right to education and life and love and happiness. And they're taught to esteem themselves, have high self-esteem. I would have thought it's rather hard for chemical scum to have high self-esteem. So, is Stephen Hawking right? Is the UN Declaration right? Or could they both be right? Or could they actually both be wrong? Well, we're in a society that's taken up with self-identity. What's your identity? But, but we don't even know what humans are. And we've got to a part of the Bible that tells us what humans are. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We've been going through Genesis 1 and God making the world. We've seen that God is the subject of every sentence. It's all centred on him. And yet it reaches its climax by telling us about mankind. Humans. It's actually in some ways very much focused on us. And two weeks ago, we learnt that it says we are made as the image of God, or made in the image of God. And two weeks ago, we heard what that means. But knowing who we are is too important to leave at just what was said last time. And so today, I'm going to recap a little of what we heard last time about the image of God, and then take it beyond Genesis 1 to understand who are we now. So, we're going to begin in Genesis 1 with the image of God made. Genesis 1 says we are the image of God. What's an image? What does it mean, image of God? Where do you see an image? Well, an image can be thought of in two ways, two R's reflect and represent. First of all, reflect. Where do you see your image? 
maybe as you're brushing your teeth? Well, in a mirror. Because it reflects you, doesn't it? In the mirror isn't you, but it is your likeness. It's a reflection of you. And so humans aren't God, but are to reflect him. To be, in some ways, like him. Reflect. But the image of God also means to represent. So in some countries, you go into the town hall, or into a school, or into a library, or even into some shops, and you see an image of the president. A picture of the president there on the wall. It represents him. It says, he rules here. And humans being the image of God means we are to represent him. We're put here as his representatives. What does image of God mean to us? Reflect and represent. But how do we do that? Well, through another two R's. Those who were here two weeks ago hopefully will recognise and remember this. Oh, that's another two R's. That was quite unintentional. That's good. Um, Relationship and rule. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Just as God is one, there is one God. But he's more than one person. He's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's a relational God. He's not some God who was just off on his lonely own before he made the world, didn't care about relationship. He's always been three persons in relationship. And so man, he made man in his image as one being. But male and female, a being of relationship. That's one of the ways we reflect God. We're relational beings. And we're called one being man. I know that's really politically incorrect today, but it is the Bible's language. Man, but male and female. Relationship, but also rule. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Humans are God's representatives by ruling over his world, by caring for his world. And that gives us another R, an exalted role. All of this gives us great significance, gives us great dignity, means we're more than chemical scum, thankfully. We have an exalted role. But do notice in Genesis 1, it's given by God, it's set by God, and it's under God. I saw last week a t-shirt someone was wearing that said, I am who I say I am. It's interesting what people put on t-shirts, isn't it? I am who I say I am. Well, that's a very common attitude. I set my identity. But the Bible says, no, God sets our identity. And he's given us a much better identity than any we make up for ourselves. It's an exalted role to reflect him, to represent him in our relationships and in our rule. But that's a very long time ago, isn't it, Genesis 1? Probably different opinions here about quite how long ago, but certainly a very long time ago. Is it still like this now? Well, let's move to our second section then. The image of God broken. That was the image of God made, but now the image of God is broken. 
How's it broken? Well, let's turn to Genesis 3. We're not going to go into Genesis 3 very much now because I'm hoping we'll get there eventually in our series. That's a subject for another time. But let's just put it like this. Genesis 3 is about UDI. Now, I reckon some of the older people here might remember a man called Ian Smith and his UDI. Ian Smith was the leader of what was then called Rhodesia, today's Zimbabwe. And he made a unilateral declaration of independence. He just declared, we are independent of British rule. We're not going to be under the British anymore. We are our own authority. Unilateral declaration of independence. That's what's going on in Genesis 3. Mankind is making UDI, a unilateral declaration of independence. They're saying, we won't be under God's authority. No, we're going to be our own people. We're not willing to be God's representatives. We want to be in charge ourselves. And there's interesting language to describe it in verse 5. Have you got Genesis 3? Have a look at verse 5. This is Satan speaking to them, trying to get them to do it. And he says, God knows that when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God, but they were already like God. They were amazing. They were made to reflect God. They were given great abilities so that they could fulfil God's purpose. They said, no, we don't want to be like God his way. We want to be like God our way. We don't want to be like God under his rule. We want to be like God by being the rulers ourselves, independently of him. And so they set their own identity. And so they reject God's purpose for them. And so, no purpose has satisfied us ever since. Isn't the history of mankind the history of seeking purpose because we're just never satisfied with any purpose we pick because we've rejected God's purpose for us? Does that mean the image of God is gone? That was Genesis 1, but it's gone now. Well, let's turn to Genesis 5. Just turn forward a couple of chapters to Genesis 5. And let's read verses 1 to 3. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Do you recognise the language? It's repeating Genesis 1. Likeness and image, male and female, but called man, just like God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but called God. It's reaffirming that still after the declaration of independence, the rebellion, there's still the image of God. And then you get verse 3. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Likeness, image, that's very significant language. What's it telling us? We inherit from Adam the likeness and image of God. It hasn't gone, it's being reaffirmed here, and it's passed on by Adam to everyone who comes from him. That includes you and me. 
But there's a twist. Because verse 3 says, in his own likeness, in his own image. So while we inherit the image of God, we also inherit Adam's sin. We also inherit Adam's brokenness. We inherit the image of God from him, but we inherit a lot of brokenness from him too. I'm sure you all have a mirror somewhere in your house, don't you? Now imagine children take it out into the garden because they want something smooth and shiny for some one of those crazy games that they've made up. And out goes your mirror into the garden and they play with it and, oh, unsurprisingly, it gets broken. And it's cracked and it's scratched and there's dirt on it. But it's still a mirror. And if you look in it, you'll still see your reflection, but probably not very well. Distorted by the brakes, obscured by the dirt. And that is us. Still mirrors, but broken and rather dirty mirrors. We still have the role God's given and the abilities he gave so we could do that role. But both the role and the abilities have been distorted by our misuse and by God's curse. Both. Us misusing and God is active, he does actively judge. A mirror, but broken. Now, the effects of that brokenness, the effects of that sin are so bad that some people have said, including some church leaders have said, no, we're no longer God's image. That's just back in Genesis 1. No longer true. So I want to show you two other places in the Bible that say we are still God's image. I'm doing this so you're clear that we are, and I'm also doing it because they are two places that bring out how we should respond to people being God's image. Let's go forward to Genesis 9. Genesis 9. God speaking to Noah after the flood. Everything's being restarted in a sense. It's as if it's been decreated and it's being recreated. And he says in verse 5, And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. It's telling us the value of human life. It's telling us that human life must not be taken, apart from for judicial re- uh, in judicial ways, for just reasons. That again is politically incorrect, but there it is in the Bible. Human life is not to be taken. Whose life is not to be taken? Well, what does it say in verse 5? And verse 6, it says, well, verse 6, man. It's the same word as in chapter 5, verse 2. It's all humans. And it's as simple as that. No footnotes here, no qualifying factors, no ifs or buts, because all are the image of God. And therefore all have a life that is too valuable to just be taken off them. However able or disabled, however young or old, however rich or poor, whether in the womb or outside of the womb, whatever race, whatever social class, it doesn't have any footnotes. It's just all humans 
made in God's image, and therefore not to have their lives taken from them. That principle is so necessary, because sadly human history is littered with attempts to get round it, and often by language to undermine the humanity of people we want to get rid of. So people in the southern states of America wanted to justify their mistreatment of slaves, what did they do? Called them names that dehumanised. To to just spread the impression these are subhumans. If you were there, would you stand up against it? The Bible gives you the basis for standing up against it. The Nazis wanted to get rid of Jews, so what did they do? Well, they paved the way by propaganda that made Jews seem subhuman. And then what do you do? You give them a label, a little star, and dress them a different way, and put them in camps where they seem subhuman. If you were there, would you stand up against it? It's the Bible that gives us the basis for that, standing up against it. The Hutu power movement in Rwanda, particularly in 1994, wanted to kill off the Tutsis. So what did they do? They had radio campaigns and other campaigns calling them cockroaches. In other words, they are just a pest that cannot be lived with. If you were there, would you stand up against it? It's the Bible that gives us the basis for standing up against it. In 2019 UK, 200,000 unborn humans are killed every year. And we justify it how? Oh, we call them the products of conception. Or, it's just a clump of cells. Do you see, it's the same strategy. Dehumanise. You are there. Will you stand up against it? The Bible gives us the basis for doing so. I said two places in the Bible that say we're the image of God today. The other is at the other end of the Bible. Would you turn to James? Little letter of James comes after Hebrews, right at the end of the Bible. And if you can't find it, don't worry, I'll read it to you. James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. And sorry, have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. James writes to Christians and he just takes it as known by them that all people are made in God's image. And here it's all people, it's it's not qualified. All of them, no exceptions. Although we're broken, we're still the image of God. And it says because they're the image of God, be careful how you talk about them. And we need to note that there's no exceptions here. Doesn't make an exception for criminals, right? They're an exception. Politicians. Aren't they an exception often with us? Yeah, we feel free to say what we like about them. Bankers, they're the bad guys, aren't they? We have our exceptions. We all probably have different exceptions. But it says here, no exceptions. They're God's image. Be careful how you talk about them. Now, sometimes people need to be corrected. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. That's not very nice. But they needed to be corrected. 
Chapter 4, verse 8. You sinners, you double-minded. That sounds a bit harsh. But sometimes people need to be corrected, sometimes very strongly, but never gossiped about, slandered, abused. Someone at your workplace might need to be corrected for being lazy, but never called a waste of space. Someone might need to be told to get on and take responsibility, but don't you dare call the image of God a loser. Don't you dare do that. That's the image of God you're calling a loser. Don't you dare repeat online or in conversation accusations that you haven't checked and aren't any of your business anyway. To praise our Lord in church today and to curse men made in his likeness this week means your praise is it's meaningless. It's not real praise to God. So the Bible has a lot to say about our brokenness. We're broken mirrors, but we're still mirrors. We're still the image of God. And that leads us to our third section. We've had the image of God made in Genesis 1, broken in Genesis 3, and that's still our state now. And then thirdly, the image of God restored. The message of the Bible is the message of God's work to mend broken mirrors. Do you know, that's what the Bible's about, mending broken mirrors. And it all centres on and is all done by his son. And it all fits together. Because we read two weeks ago, Colossians 1, his son Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the true image. He's the perfect image. He's the unbroken image. In his life he reflected God. So, John's Gospel begins by saying, we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father. He reflected God as he related to people with grace and truth. In all his relationships, he was full of grace and truth, and he reflected God. In his life, he represented God as he talked with authority, as he healed with authority as he accepted, even all the way to the cross, the role God had given him. He said, I've not come to do my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. You see, quite unlike Adam, he accepted the role and he did it. He stuck with God's purpose. The image of God in his life. And yet, even he in his life was affected by the fall Did you expect to hear that? Even he, even Jesus, was affected by the fall. Now, am I in danger of saying some heresy here? No, because I'll qualify it. He never sinned. Oh, no, he never sinned. But he was in a weak human body. A weak human body affected by the fall. Presumably, he got ill sometimes. Maybe he had to spend a couple of days in bed, unable to fully do the things the image of God is supposed to do. I wonder if ever, when he was in his carpenter's workshop, the chisel slipped and he stuck the chisel in his hand and, ah, he's injured. And for a while, his image of God creativity would be hindered. He was in a weak human body, affected by the fall. Yes, sinless, but with weakness. But now he's not in a human, he is in a human body, he's not in a fallen body. When Jesus rose, he wasn't just revived, He didn't just have some CPR and, right, we've got his body going again. No, 
for the first time since Genesis 3, a man walked this earth without any weakness or hindrances, fully, perfectly, in every way, the image of God. That's why we read Hebrews 2. Did you wonder why we read Hebrews 2? Maybe you realised why. Hebrews 2 tells God's plan for mankind to rule. It tells about us being the image of God and God's plan is for us to represent him over all his creation. And then it says, but we're not seeing it now, are we? We don't see that happening properly now. But it says, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, but now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He was made lower, he was brought down low and weak. But then he's been raised up. The image of God perfected in one man, Jesus. And he did it to, well the next verse tells us, he did it to bring many sons to glory. Jesus is the image of God perfectly, and he did it to restore the image of God in us. Now, this is going to seem off topic, but it isn't. Wayne Rooney. Is it possible for me to play football like Wayne Rooney? No, it's not. Because that is an innate ability he has, he was born with, that I haven't been born with. It is not possible for me to play football like Wayne Rooney. Is it possible for me to get my hair restored like Wayne Rooney? Yes, that one is possible. I suspect it's very expensive. But it is possible, because that wasn't innate to him. It's some treatment that he's paid for and had, and his hair's grown back again. Ah, that sounds very nice to me. I wish I could have that. What's the relevance of this? The life Jesus lived. If it was by shortcuts as the Son of God, something innate in him, it would be inaccessible to us. But it wasn't. How does the Bible say he lived the life he did? How did he resist sin? How did he relate to people rightly? Oh, the Bible says it was all by the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in him. And unlike Rooney's hair treatment, which is probably amazingly expensive, the Holy Spirit is given freely to those who trust in Jesus. So we can be like Jesus Christ. I don't mean doing miracles like him. I mean being God's representatives in this sinful world like him, relating to people like him, sticking with God's purpose for us like him. There's some verses in 2 Corinthians 3 I'll read to you which are quite difficult to understand, but hopefully you'll get the gist of them. It says this at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect or all contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. Notice the word likeness. With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. They're a bit difficult, but they mean this. As we fix our focus on Jesus, as we contemplate him, the Holy Spirit mends the mirror. He cleans off the dirt. He mends those deeply ingrained scratches. He fixes the cracks. So we become more like Jesus Christ. So we reflect God more clearly. 
In other words, so the image of God is remade in us. And that's the work the Holy Spirit is doing in us, you and me, fellow Christians, as we contemplate Jesus. And the image of God is being restored. Isn't the gospel great? It's far more than just a ticket to heaven. But we're still in this fallen body, aren't we? There's a problem. We're still in this fallen body. Many of you know Betty Fawkes, who's a member here. Go and visit her in Abbey Fields home. It's a joyful thing to do. Because she's got faith and she's got joy. And it's a joy to be with her. The image of God is being restored in her. But she's also so frail. Life is rather sad in many ways when you see her in her frailty. Is that all we've got to look forward to? Is that the best it gets? No. Because those who belong to Jesus will share in the resurrection of Jesus. Our bodies will be raised and the image of God will be completed, perfected, like his resurrection body. Now, this is the goal. This goal is is told us again and again in the Bible. So, for example, Hebrews 2 we read, the glory Jesus is crowned with shows us the glory he is taking us to. Or 1 Corinthians 15, often read at a Christian's funeral, just as we've been in the likeness, notice the word likeness of the earthly man Adam, so because of his resurrection, we will be in the likeness of the heavenly man, Jesus. Or Romans 8, that tells us, what is God's aim? What is the ultimate aim everything is driving to? And it says it's this, conforming us to the likeness of his son. Notice the word again, likeness. Just like in Genesis 1. He's perfecting the image of God in us. It will be perfected. Image of God made, now it's sadly broken. But that's not the end of the story. It's being restored and it will be fully restored. That, in a sense, is the storyline of the whole Bible. What's the point of hearing this? Well, if you're sceptical about the Bible, anyone here sceptical about the Bible? I expect so. See the coherent message there is here. Coherent message about who you are. Stephen Hawking says, you and all of us are just chemical scum. The United Nations Declaration and all the schools say, have high self-esteem, you've got these rights. It's not coherent, it doesn't fit. But the Bible is coherent. It does fit. It has a message about who you are that is based on truth and it works for life. If you're resisting God... Anyone here resisting God? You just want to get on and do your own thing. You're not living for God's purpose. So don't be surprised if no purpose fully satisfies you. You see, you're misusing something precious. You have got something precious and you're misusing it and it's you because you're the image of God. That means you're more valuable than you realised but more guilty than you realised and can be remade into something far better than you realised. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So grab it. Grab it. Say, God, I need this. God, I must have this. God, please give me this. Remake me. 
if you're living for pleasure, anyone here and basically life's about your pleasure, see the dignified and responsible role God's given you. Don't act like just a sophisticated animal here for your pleasure. Don't act like just a big child whose aim is playing. There aren't so many people today. They're just big children, really. They've grown up in their bodies, but life's still just about playing. Teenagers here, you're no longer children. And you've probably got quite a lot of time over this summer, haven't you? So how about using it to get to know the Bible, read a good Christian book, pray, and try to become more Christ-like. Although do realise you can't become more Christ-like until you've had God's mercy changing you first. So that's the first thing to pray for. God's made you for something better than just, what can I play with today? If you see and hear our society's messages about what's desirable, and we all see and hear them, but you may be influenced by them. One of the most blatant is celebrities like Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande. I don't know how you pronounce her name, but you probably know who I mean. And they present an image to young women saying, this is freeing and this is glamorous. No, it's not. That is enslaving and that is degrading. God has made you for something better than that. The dignity and responsibility of being the image of God. If you're weary, any weary Christians here? You're finding the Christian life is hard going. Be encouraged. Look at the goal God has for you. And he will do it. He will conform you to the likeness, the image of his son. Last one, if you're interacting with other people. I presume that's all of us. Interacting with some people this week, understand who the people around you are and treat them as valuable. In fact, so valuable, they are worth rescuing and restoring. And you can tell them how they can be rescued and restored. Will you do so?